welcome to my podcast uh, girl with the camera and so my listeners and viewers are aspiring filmmakers mostly so i want to focus this on giving some advice right so mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to start some tips and advice on directing so i want to hear your story okay so we're gonna start from the very beginning like do you remember the moment when you decided you want to become a filmmaker <laughs> that's a great question um probably um when i was a kid but it was i grew up in uh, a town near patterson new jersey very kind of a, a blue collar area so it was something filmmaking was something other people did it was something that uh, i never thought i could aspire to actually become a filmmaker and it wasn't so much much later um when uh, I, i used to write letters to my favorite director a gentleman named Eli kazan And uh, he directed some of the, the classics, such as On the Waterfront and Streetcar Named Desire, Splendor in the Grass, East of Eden. And East of Eden was my favorite film. And he would just encourage me. Uh, I couldn't afford film school. And he said, don't worry about it. Just pick up a camera and start shooting. And that was very late. I started my film career when I was 30. Most people start much, much younger. So I, I started with music videos and corporate image films. And then um, I started pulling in some favors for some of the folks that I had helped out. Um, I was desperate to get on set. I would do anything. I get up, you know, three or four in the morning just to, to, you know, be a, a PA or an extra. And then uh, wrote my first script and, and called in on some of the favors. And was very fortunate that um, um, talented actor named Neil Patrick Harris, who's going to be in the new matrix film had loved the script that I wrote and agreed to be in my first kind of independent friends and family productions. We, we pulled that together with very, very little money. And it was like a film school. It was like a, a trial by fire. And <laughs> uh, very fortunately I got uh, signed by William Morris and the film got picked up and um, it was called animal room. We're actually doing a, a director's cut, a re-release of the film. And we're going to be, we may be premiering it uh, in the metaverse and there's some, kind of exciting nfts that were created for the film and i'm working with an interesting group of people in los angeles but after animal room happened then my career started to fall in place and i did uh, some independent feature films and then um i did a film that premiered at the tribeca film festival called the good night to die it was also in the Cannes film festival And I was approached by the president of Lionsgate, uh, Peter Block. And he said, what do you want to, we loved your film. What do you want to do next? So I said, I want to do a horror film. And he said, we're your partner. And so that was a great meeting. And that led to a, I had a three picture deal with Lionsgate and did my first um, kind of large union film with them um, called Dark Ride. I shot it at Universal Studios and then um, was in Romania and did my second film for them and that was a crazy mm-hmm. a crazy journey but yeah they're all very different they're all very uh case by case it's hard to give any blanket advice other than you know what i what i tend to tell young younger filmmakers is that you know it's the three t's timing talent and tenacity and oh, out I of those that. three out of those three you can only control one which is tenacity. You can't control timing. You can't control talent. So tenacity is the one thing that you you can really um, stick with it and never give up, never give in. And, and I learned early on that it's, it's not always about the budget or the money. A lot of times it's about a shared goal or a shared vision amongst 
creative talent and, and really enjoying the journey. It's a good segue to my last film, 645, because it was such an incredible family of filmmakers that kind of came together and, and I surrounded myself with a lot of young talent and it was very infectious and their enthusiasm was very um, empowering and it, it kind of helped me get through this shoot and, and it made it all the more uh, rewarding. So it was a terrific experience. I love the poster behind you. You also have the yeah. 645. Nice. Thank you. you I think they're changing the, the poster for, for the domestic release. I think they're changing the poster. <laughs> I was so bummed out. I was like, this is a great poster. There's an artist named Pablo um, Vital, who's a Spanish artist, who's just, he's incredible. I think he, he does a lot of the big studio films. And he, he and I became friendly and he, you know, he completely hooked me up. And yeah, I, I love the poster. It's mysterious and it's moody, but I think... I think they're changing my poster. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you started a little bit late, you know, we can say late, um, but I think it's never too late to start or never too late to become a filmmaker, is it? No, and again, it's my, it was my journey. I think um, all of those years of just working regular jobs and doing other things helped inform my aesthetic and the things that I love. So I think it's, it's very, it's up to the filmmaker. I think had I been making films in my twenties, I think it would have been a different journey. It, it may have been more rewarding, less rewarding. Who's to say, but um, I was, I feel very, for, I never confuse rights and privileges and, and what I get to do is, is a privilege. It's, it's not a right. So I approach it that way. And I try to um, be mindful of the fact that it's extremely difficult to get a film to birth a film. There's so many different things that have to align, uh, in the, in the universe when you're thinking of money and egos and uh, there's just so many different moving parts that, um, it's a miracle that any film gets made ever because, um, and I always say this, this is like the, the behind the scenes of how a film comes together is, is interesting, if not more interesting than the film itself in many cases, I'm sure. Was there a moment ever in your career when you said to yourself, like, you know, like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. It's, it's really tough. I mean, I think it's a cliche at this point, but unless there's a very small fellowship of people who have actually made a feature film. And I think that there's a bond. There's like a, it's like the movie, the, and the sting where it's like that silent nod, that silent <laughs> little uh, nod that we give each other because we know that we've been in the trenches and how incredibly challenging it can be. Just, you know, not only the work, but, uh, you know, the psychology behind getting things done and kind of getting the circus to move in the direction that you want it to move in. Um, there's so many components. It's, it's like a, a world within a world when you're thinking about the financing and storytelling and characters and casting and locations and, you know, production, physical and post-production and all the things that can and often do go wrong. And just to have that kind of fortitude to almost daily to embrace calamity. So you wake up and you're like, okay, you know, what vehicle broke down, what actor has the flu, what camera is not working. So you, you tend to look at things differently. And then when you, when you embrace those challenges and you, you let that become kind of fuel. Um, I remember I read a quote once at Scorsese said, you almost have to be willing to commit murder to make a film. <laughs> I didn't understand that until I started making films. <laughs> now I understand it completely. 
<laughs> so true. So true. Um, so how did you fund your first films and what is your advice for filmmakers who want to create their film? Like, should they fund it themselves or maybe sh- they should take advantage of some crowdfunding websites? I've never crowdfunded, but you know, when I did my first film, it was a while ago. So I actually shot it on 35 millimeter film and was editing on film. So I had the experience of working with physical film and work print, which then we converted into the Avid at the time. So I'm, I'm glad I had that experience, but my first film was credit cards, friends and family. I don't recommend it. I had three kids in diapers at the time. It was extremely irresponsible. I was a man possessed. I was driven and, and nothing was going to prevent me from making my first film. So I would not recommend that. It was very, very, um, I was very, very fortunate that uh, the film got picked up and I was signed, but, um, all of my films have been, um, fine and financed in different ways, uh, investors, angel investors, studios, um, So it's never the same. It's always, uh, you know, mm-hmm. finding an investor who wants to invest for, you know, they, there's a variety of reasons. Sometimes people just want the fun of being involved in a film. Sometimes it's a write-off. Sometimes they want their girlfriend to be in the movie. So there's <laughs> never a, a patent answer. I, I think when you're working with studios, it's a double-edged sword because you get the financing, but then you get a lot of people over your shoulder. I remember my first studio film, I showed up on Roosevelt Island in New York city and I was with my DP and it was maybe five in the morning. And I saw all of these giant trucks and it was teamsters. It was my first union film. And I, I turned to my, my cinematographer, John, I said, I said, what are all these trucks doing here? He said, they're for you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got nauseous. I almost passed out, but the studio had flown in one of the executives from California and he was like questioning all of my setups and why are you using this lens and why are you putting the camera there? And, It was very nerve wracking. I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of support uh, emotionally or creatively, <laughs> but it gets better and you start to, you know, you choose your battles and you start to you know, stand your ground. And um, that's why, again, with 645, it was, we, we really did it ourselves. And it was, it reminded me of like old school Coppola filmmaking in the 60s, 70s. It was very, everybody was living in this whole Uh, bed and breakfast and uh, no egos everybody pitched in and wore many many hats so it was a, a terrific experience in that regard i have a very interesting question at least interesting to me <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> would you rather work with the most talented actor you ever met but it would be a little bit of an asshole or would you rather work with a little bit less talented actor but with great attitude and everyone would love them. <laughs> you always go with the talent. And I work with some assholes. I'm sure I've been an asshole. But yeah, you've always got to back the talent. Um, you know, that's the price of admission. If you, if, you know, you want the performances just to, you, you know, when that's a great question, but, but working with a lesser talent, um, working with the, the greater talent, I should say, is, perhaps a, a cause for you to put your ego aside. And as a filmmaker, we all have egos, but um, a lot of times if, if you're able to recognize that he's a better talent, you know, you don't have to marry these people. You don't even have to <laughs> have dinner with these people you're working. And if you can at least be professional at, at a base level, if that's the cornerstone of the relationship, if you're, if you're professional, you can always agree to disagree. I've had a couple tumultuous relationships with actors. It's interesting. Some of the most, 
what I've been warned is the most difficult actors actually were the most genuinely um, pleasurable experiences. So I've had, a, I've really? had a handful of actors and people would always warn me, Oh, he beats up directors. He's going <laughs> to bowl you over. And then you go out to dinner with these people and generally people all want to do good work, even if they're there for the wrong reasons. Let's say an actor is just there for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. They, this is their name and their brand and their reputation. So they want to give you their best. And sometimes they're having a, a shitty day and you, you roll with it. But I think if you're really open and the thing about most directors is if, if directors are kind of, they have to be a little crazy, but you also have to be kind of normal because you're expressing scenes and you're expressing, you know, beats and, and mood and comedy. And you've got to kind of get the joke. And in order to get the joke, you've got to have a level of kind of being somewhat stable and, and um, consistent and working with people as part of this job. And unless you're, you know, an animator or doing some other form of documentaries perhaps, but with dramatic narrative and narratives in general, um, you've got to be able to, to empathize with people and understand that this isn't always easy for the actors. It's a lot, you know, they get getting up at six in the morning and they're standing around for six or seven hours and then they work for an hour and a half. It's, it's not easy, but, and they're there for you. They're there to support you. So you always have to be mindful of the fact that you're all kind of on the same team. It doesn't mean you always have to see eye to eye or get along, but, um, I've had really, really fortunate, um, talent relationships. So that's, that's been a blessing in, in, in my my personal journey. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, definitely. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so um, you made this great film, 645. Um, so psychological thriller and um, having a nightmare every day, relive it. <laughs> so after making this film, if you wake up at 645, are you creeped out in real life? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you call it a great film. So who am I to argue with you? That's the first <laughs> point I want to make. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's interesting. People ask me, why, why do I, why did I make it 645? And I figured if you were on a vacation and you, somebody woke you up at 11 AM, that wouldn't be a big deal. And if somebody woke you up at 3 AM, that would seem kind of extreme. So 645 <laughs> felt like the happy medium of when you wouldn't want to be woken up on a vacation. But yeah, no, things like that have happened. I used to look at clocks and always see 9-11 for years and years. And I used to look it up and see what is, what's the meaning behind that. But um, yeah, 6.45 is, uh, yeah, um, I'm very proud of the film. I mean, we put it together. I was very hesitant when, when I decided to move forward with uh, Augie Duke and Michael, my two lead actors. Um, she used to say, Craig, come on, we're making films in LA for no money. And, I was just coming off of, uh, I was an executive at Walt Disney and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm spoiled. I'm used to having, you know, Disney behind me and, and yeah. all those resources. And I don't know if I'm your guy. And she would just keep pushing and pushing. She said, come on, we'll get this great, you know, young team of, of filmmakers around you and, and it'll be great. And she was right. It was, it was a leap of faith for sure, because I hadn't um, directed a film since Perkins 14, which I did in Romania. So it'd been a while. And that was um, a kind of a self-imposed exile, if you will, because I'd been uh, working with Disney and this is very not Disney. This is a horror film, a thriller, <laughs> psychological thriller. So it was a, it was an interesting journey to say the least. <laughs> was there any moment of filming that you remember maybe funny or weird, something happened on, on, on set or any specific scene that made everyone go like, wow, like this is good. 
Well, I think we were very ambitious with our shooting schedule and my cinematographer, uh, Lucas Patasi was up for anything. He was very physical, uh, opera. He operated as well as was the DP. So he was, I would come up with these crazy shots. I tend to be very visual with all of my films and, and come up with some ambitious, um, visuals. And he was really just, he was down for anything. He wanted to even push it and, you know, hang himself off of rooftops and trees. So he was um, <laughs> amazing collaborative partner in that regard. And the place we stayed was reputed to be actually haunted. So some of the uh, oh. cast and crew staying there had some pretty strange kind of paranormal things that happened to them. I didn't personally, but um, I believe, I believe them when they tell me that they had some, some kind of creepy, um, occurrences that happen. And I think the tone and the look of the film kind of reflect that, that energy. And, um, and while there's a, a kind of a, a claustrophobic intimacy to the film, there's also kind of a real beauty to, uh, you know, it's as much of a, a romantic love story where things go terribly wrong as it is a flat out horror film. So I think that, um, uh, a lot of it's going to find a, a a wide audience. And I think it may even skew female, believe it or not. You obviously like these kind of films and, you know, very dark. And I've read in the interview um, that I found online that you're working on the film called Tat. Mm -hmm. And based on that interview, what I, what I've seen, you said that it's even like, it's the darkest film you work on. (laughs) So can you like, maybe say just like a little bit about it. <laughs> Tad is going to make 645 look like a kindergarten class. It's <laughs> very dark. It's about memorial tattoos and um, the supernatural. And I literally it was the only script that's ever given me nightmares when I read it. It's terrifying. And I co-wrote it. So um, wow, it comes from a series of articles that I read. And I think it's interesting because even, you know, young people, I think, 50 some odd percent of young people have tattoos. So it's no longer become, it's like a cottage industry, very, very powerful. And people don't capriciously get tattoos. There's a story behind every tattoo. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be very personal. Uh, It'll mean different things to different people. And it ought to, it's going to be really terrific. Mentioning writing, like if you write something like this, well, Mm-hmm. Do you need like, do you want to write it at night or do you need like a certain I, atm- <laughs> you know? I'm a very lazy writer. So I write when the muse taps me on the shoulder. Um, well, I have a number of writing partners who are actual writers and they wake up at five and six in the morning and they write. They're disciplined. I'm not disciplined that way. I, I, I'm pretty good with story. And, and uh, when I write scripts or screenplays or contribute to screenplays, it's, it, it has to happen when I, when I kind of get that muse whispering in my ear, which you never know when that's going to happen, which is very frustrating at times. But um, that came together pretty seamlessly, which was nice. And that's usually a good sign when things kind of flow together in terms of storytelling and pacing and characters and things like that. I was really excited because everything in the, in the horror genre, and I don't, I love drama, comedy, all sorts of things. Um, but I have a lot of respect for horrors, thrillers and horror films. It's, it's, um, it's kind of the only genre that's not star dependent. Um, it's scare dependent and it's also the only genre that crosses all borders. So if you make a comedy, it might be funny in one country and fall flat in another country with, with something that's Mm -hmm. scary. Generally speaking, if it's scary 
one part of the world that will be scary in another part of the world. I would close that with the last question. So what would you say, what does it take to make it in this industry? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think it, def- it depends on how you define making it, right? Some people it's um, economic or financial. Some people it's awards. Sometimes it's just the personal journey, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, a whole world of films that are never really exposed to the general population. You just see the Marvel films and the, and the big blockbuster films from the studios like Warner and Paramount and Disney. I feel like it's interesting to explore all facets of film. And for me, it's, it's just been a rewarding journey um, at every level from the micro budget to the larger films and just kind of having people enjoy your work. And sometimes you don't find the largest audience or the audience that you want it to, but it's still part of your journey. So if you're a filmmaker and you want to go out there and, and make something that's personal or that's meaningful to you, um, you know, go with God by all means. I don't think it should be about the, the shiny object or the award. It should be about the, the process of making your film and, and having something to say that's uh, significant and, and has meaning to you on a personal level. 100% agreed. And just one last question that just popped up in my head. How do you think, like, do you think people will go into the cinema in 20 years or, or will we just stay at home and watching Netflix Prime Video? No, I think cinema will be different. I think there's nothing like, you know, going into that. It's almost become a cliche where people talk about the shared experience, but it's true when you're, when you go into a room with a crowded room with strangers and you share um, an experience, um, an artistic experience that's powerful and potent. Um, there's nothing like it. And I, th- I don't think if you have the greatest home entertainment set up on the planet, it can replace that feeling. It's almost like going into a church or a cathedral. And for a lot of filmmakers, um, a movie theater experience is like a church. I know it was for me. And so I don't think it'll go away. I think it may evolve into other things and it might be you know a little bit more high tech or a little bit more comfortable but um i mean some of my greatest memories are films that I've, i saw in a movie theater with large and small audiences alike so it was just something that uh that really kind of fuels my fire and, and that, that sort of passion i'm sure is shared by um filmmakers of all ages absolutely agreed and especially in terms of horror films like It's so good to watch it with so many other people and having the same reactions and crazy. Oh my God, I'm much, I'm much older than you, but I remember I saw the Omega Man with Charlton Heston in an abandoned opera house in Atlantic City where there was nobody in the theater and it was terrifying. And, and I loved the fact that I was terrified in this old palace. It was great. But those types of things, you just can't, um, I mean, you can't really replicate that in your living room.